Romans 13 is the government chapter. Uh, no doubt, if, if you're aware of, of Romans 13, we've gotten to the place that a lot of people will probably find either highly interesting or highly infuriating. <coughs> um, as you can see, I have a lot of additional scripture to talk about today. Romans 13 itself is not a tremendously long chapter, and that's why um, we've got a little additional content here, but um, we're getting to the end of Romans. <coughs> and, you know, as I said last week, Romans is kind of two parts. The first m biggest part of Romans is kind of a um, apologetics to the Roman, I'm sorry, an apologetics to the Jewish nation, essentially, saying, um, Christ is the fulfillment of, of messianic prophecy of the Old Testament. And in addition to that, here's some things that, that may trouble a lot of you or may shock a lot of you. The law is not the path to salvation. Jesus is the path to salvation. And if you truly believe that Jesus is the Messiah, who he says he is, and you follow him with your heart, then you are saved. Um, and it's not a checklist of, of all these things that you have to do in order to enter the kingdom of heaven. The second smaller half of Romans is really kind of now what? And, and we're in the now what, which is here's some kind of general guidelines for living your lives. Um, it's, it's a lot less focused on the Jewish people. It's a lot more focused just on living in general, living for Christ. And that's where we're at today for, for chapter 13. And what I always ask when we do studies like this is, you know, the main questions are who wrote it, who was it written to, and why was it written the way it was written. So I'm going to ask you today, as we go through Romans 13, why would suddenly Paul jump into a whole bunch of rules, and we'll get into it, obviously, and I'm just going to give you, you know, kind of, you know, surprise. Why would Paul write a whole bunch of things about follow, follow the law and follow the government. And it's really important to do what the government says. I'm just going to open that up for discussion here. Why do you think Paul would launch into a whole bunch of that? Well, I wonder if, I did read ahead, so I don't know if this is correct, yep. but I'm wondering if this isn't when you know, he started out his letter in the fashion of, you know, I'm going to come to you, but first I have to go to Jerusalem. I'm thinking maybe he, mm. he's in that process and he's okay. run into some snags with some government. Ah, okay. <coughs> About government. Paul hit some snags. <laughs> right? Um, he's headed, headed to Jerusalem. That's right. <coughs> question hello welcome question today is chat romans 13 is is very much focused on the government following the government doing what the law tells you to do and and the general question today is why why would paul launch into that and in fact maybe what we should do is just read it and then we'll understand and we can probably ask ourselves uh more deeply why that is we're going to do romans 13 and we're going to do verses 1 through 7 <coughs> and even though we have the uh the Tonight Show soundboard here. We also have the magic mic we're going to continue to use till I get that worked out. So I will, um, <clears throat> I will have that passed, even though you guys have the microphone on your desk, I'll pass it to you anyway if you're going to read. Um, so who would like to read Romans 13, 1 to 7 to kick us off here? Everyone must submit to governing authorities, for all authority comes from God, and those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. 
So anyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and they will be punished. For the authorities do not strike fear in people who are doing right, but in those who are doing wrong. Would, <clears throat> would you like to live without fear of the authorities? Do what is right, and they will honor you. The authorities are God's servants sent for your good, but if you are doing wrong, of course you should be afraid, for they have the power to punish you. They are God's servants sent for the very purpose of punishing those who do what is wrong. So you must submit to them not only to avoid punishment, but also to keep a clear conscience. Pay your taxes, too, for these same reasons. For government workers need to be paid. They are serving God in what they do. Give to everyone what you owe them. Pay your taxes and government fees to those who collect them, and give respect and honor to those who are in authority. So let's do two things here. Let's say, what is he saying? <coughs> this. We'll do two. We'll do, what is this saying, and why is it being said? What, so what is the what? What is Paul telling us to do here? To do what we're supposed to do, whoever's in charge, but we also have to do what God, as long as it agrees with God's word. Okay, and... If it doesn't, then, mm -hmm. then it's wrong. Now, this is a little bit more intimated, because when I read it, <coughs> When I read it, literally, it doesn't say, it doesn't literally say, do it unless they are not doing what God, they're not doing God's word. I don't, I don't read that, but we would intimate it because it, why would we intimate it? Because he makes the connection that the people in charge are, are essentially, say it again. God's servants. They are God's servants. So... <laughs> Government is God's servants. <clears throat> and we'll get to that a little bit more, sweetheart, in just a minute. What else is this saying? Pay your taxes. <laughs> Pay taxes, Wesley Snipes. <clears throat> Does anyone know who Wesley Snipes is anymore? Is this like an old 90s reference? Sorry, I don't know, dude. Who hasn't paid their taxes lately? I don't know. Think about police. <laughs> yeah. Day, if you ask 10 people, are the police good or bad? say they're bad and seven yeah. say they're good. Mm -hmm. Go back into the history of those seven people and find out that they're law-abiding citizens. Right. You can look at the three and find yeah. out that they're probably not. Right. Yeah. Okay. And what do you expand on that? Well, it says here that you, know, you have a clear conscience if you follow the government, if you obey and do what they say. I'm going to add that to this. Why? So it's not just about right or wrong. It's yep. about the consequences. Ah, uh, okay. <clears throat> There's always a purpose. God always has a purpose to what he does. It's not just to make us. There we go. <clears throat> this is, ooh, this is so important. I feel like this is a great point, which is, <laughs> look, how many thousands of pages, how many hundreds of thousands of words do we have in our holy scriptures it's not just a bunch of fluff. It's not just a bunch of FYIs. I feel like what Ken is getting at here is there's a purpose for all of this. If God tells you to do something, there's probably a reason behind it, right? What else does this say? Literally, and we can be honest here. <clears throat> it says if you're against the government, 
that's what it says. <coughs> Against government equals to God. That's that's what it says. Now, <coughs> of course, in this class we don't read <coughs> three sentences and take them out of context and, and assume everything. So we are reading Romans 13 in context. We are re reading Romans 13, understanding that there is a huge amount of additional scripture that, that sheds light on this. What I'm asking you is, just Romans 13 says this. There are times when, if you are against the government, you are going against God's law and God's rule. It brings, it brings continuity, too. It's not the fact that everybody just made up their own mind what was good or right or acceptable. Okay. Okay. Chaos. Brings. Can I say objectivity, or should I say it? Help me understand what you just. Because I want to make very clear what you just said. What's continuity? Continuity means everybody's doing the same thing. Continuity. <coughs> Standards, maybe. Yeah. Maybe so kind of this idea that it's not relative. This is such a, a liberal thought today. I mean, the West is very caught up today in, the, in relativism, yeah. which is it doesn't matter what you do. What you do is good for you, and what I do is good for me, and er, you know, there is no such thing as right and wrong, right? Who am I to tell someone else what to do? What we're reading right here is there, it's not relative. You have to do. There are laws. There are standards. <clears throat> we're expected to follow them. I was just trying to. You're so good. Well, that's why you're getting all the whys. <laughs> <laughs> um, he wants you to respect authority. Yep, this is it. <clears throat> why? Then you're on the hook, right? Oh, I don't know, dude. Say it again. Authority comes from that. Yeah, respect authority. Yeah, why? It's uh, you know, different than obeying parents. Yeah. Whoever. There's a yep. hierarchy mm -hmm. of just to have that order and that continuity. Yeah. You can't, it's not just everybody. Let's order here. This is a really good one. It brings order. <coughs> um, okay. Yes. I like this a lot. It might have been a uh, point of clarification for him as well mm -hmm. regarding, hey, we're rebelling against the old ways. Yep. You know, Paul's a guy that's been stoned several times. Yep. All he's been doing is rebelling against you know, the local authorities. He's kind of trying to draw a line here. Hey, we might be battling against Okay, we're, we're hitting it here. <clears throat> I'm going to just say it. Um, who was the letter to the Romans written to? The church and where? What was the capital of the universe at this time? 
just <coughs> timeline. <coughs> 1, 33, Ooh, we're at 57 here. Just a few years earlier, what happened in 49 AD? I just have to say, I love you guys because you listen to me. <laughs> this is awesome. I am so, oh, heart. The Jews were kicked out of Rome. Why were the Jews kicked out of Rome in 49 AD? Why were they causing too much trouble? Yes, Christianity was causing such a stir in the Jewish nation that there were riots. There were physical riots. There were economic impacts. There were people um, fleeing. There were there were open open rebellion, and it was it was drawing the government into it. It got so bad that. The emperor kicked all of the Jews. So you have to remember, too, at this time, and again, even Paul, Christianity is not a different religion from Judaism at this point. It is Judaism. The Romans see it as Judaism. Paul sees it as an extension of Judaism, a fulfillment of Judaism. It's not like today where it's completely polar opposite, seen as that way. The Romans see Christianity as starting to be a rebellion, not just, and, and we hit it here, not just against their own religion, but against the government. So Paul is writing this, I, and, and you know this is my opinion, this, some scholars see it this way too. Paul is trying to make a big case here. You don't have to worry about Christians. Hey, Roman emperor, Roman aristocracy, you don't have to worry about Christianity. We're not the problem. <laughs> we, we are law-abiding citizens. We intend to pay our taxes. We intend to follow the Roman law. And another book is being written right at, probably right at the exact same time here <clears throat> by a Gentile named Luke. And, and what, it, what are those two books that Luke is writing probably at this very moment? Luke and Acts. <clears throat> he's writing a gospel of Jesus, his own version of the gospel of Jesus, and he's writing a, a, a continuation of that called the Acts of the Apostles. And there are many scholars today that feel that Luke wrote that entire thing as a defense of Christianity to show the Roman government they were not a threat. <clears throat> Christians are not a threat <clears throat> to the Romans, to Roman government. Okay, I think that's a really big point here. What, what is, wh how do you take that? How would you respond to that if you were there? Kind of the other side of it is that mm -hmm. we're, we've got a, a witness to, if we want people to join us, we've got to, we can't threaten. We can't be. Yes. We have to be yes. in line and doing what's right. Well, even if we are oppressed, we're not supposed to. Jesus said that if somebody strikes you one more, really good. This is really, really tied 
to the doctrine of forgiving enemies. I asked last week, who's your enemy? It's the same answer as who's your neighbor. Who's your enemy? <laughs> it's kind of everyone. At some point or the other, your enemy is everyone. Your neighbor is everyone. There is a reason why people, that, well, there's no good reason. At some point, everyone on this planet will probably find something that you do offensive. I'm sorry if that disturbs you. <laughs> Even your best friend at some point will not agree with everything that you do. At some point, <clears throat> you're going to have to forgive the wrongs of others, either what they do to you or what they do to others. This is a, it's no accident, Roger, you're absolutely right, it's no accident that Romans 13 follows Romans 12, which at the very end of Romans 12, Paul is making the case. It is mine to avenge, says the Lord, I will repay. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is just a continuation of that philosophy, that world-changing philosophy that has almost never been seen before in any world religion, and that is the belief that you should help your enemies and pray for them and love them and do good for them. That, guys, that is unique <laughs> amongst world religions. Jesus was absolutely, absolutely a rebel in this case. And it extends to the government. How many people at one time or the other see the government as your enemy? <laughs> I mean, come on. Raise your hand, right? Well, for sure the Jews that he's writing to. Yes. They definitely saw yes. uh, any government other than a Jewish run state as... This is it. Jews see Romans as enemy number one. Look, you all know what happens in... 70 AD. That's another important date in history. What happens in 70 AD that, that really matters to the Jews? Jerusalem is raised, which means R-A-Z-E-D, <laughs> not R-A-I-S-E. It is burned to the ground. Some reports say a million people died in Jerusalem. I, I know that sounds, that sounds like a lot today. I want you to think that the total world population at that time may have only been 100 million people. So a huge number, a huge proportion of all the people alive on earth died in 70 AD of Jews. But that wasn't the first time that that was happening. Basically, <laughs> Jewish history is full of the Jews trying to kick a, 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 a tyrannical power out of Judea. They were under foreign occupation. They've been under foreign occupation, the Jews have, since 586 BC, almost 600 years. <clears throat> And time and again, they rebelled against those foreign occupiers, the Babylonians, the Assyrians, the Persians, the Greeks, the Seleucids, the Ptolemies, and now the Romans. <laughs> Which all those were instituted by God. Oh! See? He gets it. We're done. <laughs> he gets it. That's exactly it. That is exactly what Paul is trying to say here. He's saying, look, dude, I get it. I get it that you're not happy with the Romans. I know you want to kick them out. I'm telling you right now, there's better ways to do it, right? I think he's saying that we can submit to authority and still still thrive. Yes. As a community, as a, as a, as a nation. Yep. With thriving. 
This is it. This is it. And this, this gets at a big reason why many of them rejected Jesus, right? We, we, the Jews, expect a conqueror, a military conqueror to come in and kick those Romans out, not just kick them out, destroy them, and reinstitute a Jewish high priest and king on the throne to rule over us, and then we will be a sovereign nation again. That's what they were expecting in the first century AD. Now, we know now with the holy scriptures that we have and all the prophecy that that is going to happen. The book of Revelation is essentially that story. It just hasn't happened physically yet. But their king is here. (laughs) Their king is here. Their spiritual priest is here. He's just not, he hasn't destroyed the Romans at this point. And who is that, of course? Jesus of Nazareth. But this is a great point. That is, that it's because the Jews, there's two things here. The Jews think the law is, is the path to salvation, and they think the Messiah is going to destroy the Romans, specifically the Romans. Neither one of those things has happened. Yep, go ahead. Did I hear it? Oh, yeah. I didn't mean to interrupt. I'm sorry. It's not an interruption. This is your class, sweetheart. My previous minister said not to think, I can't remember how I put it, not to think too much of it or something. Because he said he, he would disappoint me. I didn't think that would happen, but it did mm-hmm. happen once. But he got through it. So, okay, Expl- explain that, sorry. Uh, uh, well, there was something that, that he did disappoint us, but um, he stayed. Oh, the minister did. Minister. Oh, okay, okay, I see. Yeah. <clears throat> yep. Well, hey, you know, everyone, everyone will disappoint well, you at some point. Worked three years with him in the food pantry in the basement of the church building, and I learned from him even working in the food pantry. Uh huh. I learned from him, and I I could see where why he was our minister and not some of the other people mm-hmm. in the congregation. Mm-hmm. He had he, his heart was right. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, I learned from him. When I asked him a question, he built the Bible, which I wanted him to do to answer it, to have God in mm-hmm. it, you know. But. Okay. Um, just, I was thinking that it's kind of hard for uh, me. I guess just me today, um, to think about that people in power are there because God wants them to be. Yeah. But like Roger was saying, like mm-hmm. God says in the Bible, like, hey, I allowed Nebuchadnezzar to take you over. Like Nebuchadnezzar could only do it because I said it. And then he says, yep. and then you know what? I decided that no, the series are gonna I mean like mm-hmm. God's the one I mean he tells you specifically yeah. like oh I told Nebuchadnezzar you need to go do this. And then yep. I told the series, no, nope, you need to go, you know. So it's not I think I need to take some peace in that. Right. But, you know. So funny you should say that. that. Funny <laughs> you should bring that up. It's a great segue to this side of the board, which is <clears throat> we've just been told by Paul, and this is the right message, that we as Christians, as a Christian nation, are expected to respect authority, <clears throat> respect our leadership, <clears throat> and obey governing rules and laws. But that's not the whole story. (laughs) 
That's not the whole story. Now we step back and we say, well, what does the rest of the Holy Scriptures say? And there is a huge amount of, of additional information that helps us as Christians understand the why, as well as what happens when we aren't expected to follow the, the government. So let's just kind of dive into this a little bit here. Are there examples from the Holy Scriptures where God's people disobeyed the government? Well, let's just go through these, and we probably can name these if we, if we think really hard. What's happening in Exodus? <laughs> okay. So here we have rebellion against the Egyptians. Was that instituted by God, that rebellion? You better believe it. What was the effect on the Egyptians after that was all said and done? Pretty much destroyed them. Yeah, it wasn't good. <laughs> yeah, almost complete and total destruction of the Egyptian nation. <clears throat> First, yep. But that didn't come until after 400 years of being... Yes, here we go. That was 400 years in the making. That's a long time. Yep. That, yes. Uh, and then finally God did rise, raise up a, a ruler to pull them out. And I think maybe yep. that's what they're looking for in Messiah is destruction of the plagues and everything and then um, the Jewish nation of deception. And what I think what they <coughs> maybe missed was if, if they listened to God in the hmm? first place, hmm? they would have already had that. They would be the ruling nation probably around the whole world. Yep. The Romans, basically, but for a different reason, for uh, uh, yep. to be that light. Let's no. This is absolutely true. Let's talk about this then. Chicken and egg here. Yeah, you mentioned it was about four hundred years. Didn't start out as an oppression. It started out as the Egyptians opened them with with open arms. <clears throat> but like you said, at the end of this. Was this just an open rebellion where the Hebrews were essentially saying, I'm not going to work anymore. I'm going to destroy the pyramids that I created, and I'm going to burn this place to the ground. Or what, what was the impetus for all of this? And you kind of intimated it there. God raised up a leader. Yes. And he raised, it up, raised him up after what? The people were doing what? They were asking and praying. The people... We're, we're asking God for, for deliverance. I love it. That's great. I hope I got that sigh on there. Well, that's just it. They asked for deliverance. God raised up a leader. No, we're talking about reality here. Okay. <laughs> hey, he's been he's preaching the same message for four years at this service. Feels like four hundred, right? This is the this is the order here. I'm just I'm just joking, and I hate politics. So, people asked for deliver. They went to God for deliverance. They didn't just start burning the place to the ground. <clears throat> they they went to God, and then when God decided it was time, and and to Roger's point, I believe. He did this for a reason. This wasn't an accident. They were there for 400 years. There was, we've talked about this when we talked about Exodus, when we did the book of Exodus. There was a reason God protected and nourished and kind of like we called it an embryo, kept his people 
Egypt for 400 years, and then there was a reason why they were oppressed and he delivered them. But this was the right order. First Kings. How many people have read Kings? First and Second Kings. <laughs> how many leaders of Israel were good? Not very many. Zero. <laughs> how many leaders of Judah were good? Count them on, yeah, maybe one hand, yeah. Here we have First Kings. We have Jezebel. Was she good or bad? She was bad. Yeah, she was the worst. Here, Jezebel. I believe this is where she gave an order to kill the prophets, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I believe this is her order to kill all the prophets. But what happens? The prophets of God say, "No, we're not going to kill. I'm not going to kill them," and they hide. Okay, um, Ezekiel, I'm sorry, um, Elijah is part of this whole mess, and he decides to help out and hide some of the prophets of God so that they aren't killed. So there, here's another example where the government said, Obadiah, thank you, Obadiah is told, go round up the prophets of God and kill them. And he, he refuses, he flat refuses, because that is overtly and obviously an attack on God and his, and his people. And so in that case, um, that was fine. <clears throat> that sounded like the elevator when you get to like, this is your floor, right? It was James Lyon posting on a Facebook post. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> James Lyon, you know what James you've done. Lyon be here. <laughs> yes, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Esther, who remembers the story of Esther? What happens there? Babylonians have carted most of the people of Judah off to Babylon. Now Persia is in charge. Xerxes, the, the great ruler of the Persian Empire, um, is persuaded by this guy Haman, who's a very wealthy aristocrat of the time and gives Xerxes tons of money. Haman wants Haman has a grudge, and we know that it now goes back to the history of, of Haman and his people, who were basically the enemies of Judah. And he has a grudge, a, a, and he wants to commit genocide. He wants to kill. He wants Xerxes to order the death of every Jew in his entire empire. <clears throat> Esther, who is now the wife of the king, and she is a Jew, and Xerxes doesn't really know that yet, there's a rule. <clears throat> Basically, <clears throat> if, you are, if you are Xerxes or you're the king of Persia, no one is allowed to enter your inner chamber without... An, an invitation. So what would happen is, and this is probably just a really big abstraction, but just kind of imagine a palace where you've got the throne room. Let's just call it the throne room for, you know, there's better, better ways to say it. But, and here's the court. Here's all of the wannabes meandering about in the court. Aristocrats, Haman is out here. Mordecai is at the, at the gate to this whole area. Mordecai is Esther's cousin. Well, you are not allowed to go into the throne room unless Xerxes specifically says, go get Esther and bring her in. Even if you're the queen, even if you are his queen, you are not allowed to come in there. What was the punishment if you showed up in his throne room unannounced? Death. Death. <laughs> unless what? He tipped his scepter towards you or something like that. Look at this. Very good. Very good. If you, if you come in, you are running a huge risk that he will kill you, no matter who you are. <clears throat> 
Esther decides to disobey the orders of Xerxes and enter the, the throne room, because this is at the point where she is going to turn this whole thing around and, and help to, to, to save the Jews. So yeah, she disobeyed. She has everyone in her household, though, fast and pray for Yes. <clears throat> she says, fast and pray for like three days. <clears throat> then I'll go. So you're saying she didn't just try and do this on her own. There we go. There we go. There we go. This is not unilateral. This is exactly it. <clears throat> I'm going to go to God first. I'm going to see what he says. Then I'm going to act. Didn't she, didn't she tell Mordecai to have those Jews fast for three days too? That's exactly, yeah, that's it. Mm-hmm. Oh, they all did. Sorry. She told them all to do that. This is exactly the point. So not, there's not unilateral action. Daniel, here we go. Daniel had two encounters with the government. Once when he was a very young man, once when he was a very old man. <clears throat> His first encounter with Nebuchadnezzar, right at the beginning, he has three friends. Who are they? There we go. You guys are so good, right? They refuse to do what? Nebi. That's it, Nebuchadnezzar. Why would you bow down to Nebi? Not just that he's the king. Why are you bowing to him? Why, why is Nebi having you, you bow to him? Well, he built a giant golden statue of himself so that, to show that he's a god. That's it. That's it. Most rulers of antiquity, you know, you have to remember, kind of legitimize their rule by saying, well, I'm not just the king. I'm also a god. And it was very hard for people to not follow you, worship you, bow down to you because you were claiming some kind of divinity. Nebuchadnezzar did exactly the same thing, but the Jews refused. They refused to bow to him as a god. <clears throat> Again, <laughs> an overt action taken by the government that is directly contradicting <clears throat> God's law. And what happened in that case, sweetheart? What happened to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? They, they were healthy, healthier than the ones that ate what the king ate. Oh, that's a good one. That's a good one. So before the fiery furnace, the Jews say, we're going to eat our own dietary laws, and, and the government says, you, you know, you're stupid. Now, that was less of a law and more just of a cultural thing. <clears throat> now we're talking like fiery furnace business. You're not bowing down to the ruler. You're going to be thrown in the furnace. They throw him in, and what happens in there? It's not like smoke. They are in. There's either an angel or Jesus, or, you know, that's up for debate. But there's a fourth mm-hmm. person in the fiery furnace with them. They're like, what? And Is it hot in here? They threw them in, burned up, and died. So. <laughs> they were saved. <laughs> Magi. Um, they refused to go back to Herod. <clears throat> um, let's see what else we have here. Peter before the Sanhedrin. <clears throat> the Sanhedrin, the ruling council, <clears throat> said, stop preaching Jesus. <clears throat> and what did Peter tell him to do? <laughs> <clears throat> or go do? We must obey God. Right? Yeah. yeah, that's it. Yeah, I'd say that was a turning point. No more denial. No more denial. They stood up. Here, this is a great one. Peter, 
He stood up to preach truth. <clears throat> this is a case where this isn't hurting anyone. The only thing it's hurting is <laughs> threatening. It doesn't even th it threatens because people allow them to be threatened. Preaching truth sometimes can have very dire consequences for us, and all of us in this room know this. Just saying truth can get us into a lot of trouble. Jesus was killed because he preached truth. Jesus never threatened anyone. <laughs> I mean, he kind of did. <laughs> he kind of said this temple is going to be destroyed and rebuilt in three days, but he never threatened the government. <clears throat> he never physically threatened someone with harm. I'm going to kill you. <clears throat> he said the order is going to change. Things are going to change socially, and for that he was killed. Finally, Hebrews, this is Moses, um, you know, way back again, right to the beginning. Right at the very beginning, Pharaoh ordered that all of the Hebrew babies, baby boys, were supposed to be what? Murdered. Yeah. What did the Jewish midwives do? Oh, we couldn't get there in time. The baby was born. We couldn't, you know, we couldn't stop it. Yeah. Well, it saved a lot of lives. So here, I'm just, okay, so we're, we're beating this, this point to, the, to death here. There are cases where we can't obey the government, but it's very specific, and I think here's, this is the right order. We need to call out to God for help and for guidance to understand what to do. Because God does raise leaders to rebel and deliver his people. Again, these are the same kind of things here. We have Moses. <clears throat> We have the judges of Israel. What was going on in Israel during the time of the judges? Everyone did what was right in their own sight. Yeah, it was bad. <laughs> you know, Canaanites, the, the native inhabitants of, of the land of Palestine, had very awful pagan religions. <clears throat> God raised up judges to, to, you know, essentially make order here. In Hebrews, I think this might be back to Moses. Let me see here. Oh, this is just a list of all the Old Testament heroes. So, look, um, David, <laughs> Moses, David, Abraham, these people who God raised up to lead their people. So it's not like the government is always your enemy either, right? Whenever Jesus or his apostles went against or disobeyed the government, it wasn't for their own personal reasons. Mm. Right. It should not be personal. This is absolutely right. How many people, you know, I could ask, how many people don't pay their taxes? Um, right? Roger. <laughs> <laughs> I, I doubt a lot of people don't, who don't pay their taxes do it for some kind of sociological thing. They claim that. But at the end of the day, they just want their money. I mean, let's be honest. People, people don't pay their taxes deliberately when they don't pay their taxes because they want to keep it. They don't want the government to take their money. And then they'll use a lot of reasons why they did that. Jesus also tells us uh, when he paid taxes, give the seizure what a seizure. Yes. Whose face is on that coin? Well, it's his, you know? And like other rabbis like didn't pay the temple tax, mm -hmm. but like he had Peter go and get a fish and get a coin out of the fish mm -hmm. so that he would show that like, I will, you know, I'm gonna obey this rule even though other people. 
This was a trick. This is a whole this is a whole rabbit hole here. The whole fish thing. That was a whole trick that that the rabbis were, or the the priests were trying to play on Jesus to see what he would say. Essentially, you're right. <clears throat> people who were true priests didn't have to pay the temple tax. So they were trying to see if Jesus was claiming to be a high priest, right? <clears throat> and if he said he wouldn't pay his taxes, he was not only claiming to be a high priest, but he's an enemy of Rome. And if he did offer to pay his taxes, well, then the, uh, <clears throat> the Jews could say, um, well, well, then you're nobody. Um, and, and I know you don't have any money, so they didn't expect him to pay it. Well, in that case, God provided. And this is a whole thing that, you know, God will provide. <laughs> this is totally it. Let's, let's finish this here. <clears throat> we know from the Old Testament that God often has instituted evil rulers for, for what God says is a very good reason. He has very good reasons for it. And we talked about this. Chronicles, you could look at the whole, you know, first and second kings. You could look at Judges. <clears throat> For all of the rulers of Israel who did evil in the sight of the Lord. But what was the, and this is a huge question, of course, why did God do that? Why does God institute evil rulers over us? Let's do that. Yep. God's power. Yep. People turn back to God. How do you know if an evil ruler is, is evil? How do you know if a ruler is evil or not? Because he's got Democrat, because he's got Republican, right? Because he's got Independent. Is that the way we test? No. How do we test, Lorna? Same test as everyone. Which is? What do you mean by fruit? What else can we do? <clears throat> we hold it up to standards of the Bible, which is yep. saying, but um, if they're following what the Bible says, hmm? they're going to produce good fruit. So it's, it's one part is me observing and testing and, and, and measuring, weighing. What else? What else can I do? It's already written up here. <clears throat> It's a big one, right? I think the whole point here is God wants you to go to him and ask him, is this right? And if not, what should I do? And if so, what should I do? The good news is, well, any, I, this, gets, this always gets a lot of, right, you know, sweating. <laughs> <laughs> clenched fists. <clears throat> I think a case can be made, though, that all of them are Yeah. They're all evil. Only Jesus is good. So if you don't have Jesus, then 
Who? This is exactly it, Carrie. This is exactly it. The Bible has already said, especially Daniel, Revelation, the go- all the Gospels say, there will come a time where there will be one ruler over the entire earth, and that, that kingdom will be forever. And who is that ruler? Jesus Christ. <clears throat> to Carrie's point, you will never have an earthly ruler who is perfect, who is all good. You will never have a government that is all good. Look, I know there's a lot of polarization in our country right now about, about politics. Look, the honest truth is <laughs> we are way better off today in the United States than 99.99% of all humans who ever lived on this planet. <clears throat> now, it ain't perfect. It's never going to be perfect. And this is why we can't ever stop doing this. Continue to pray. Continue to test our rulers. Continue to look for fruit. Try and make a difference. Look, the great thing about living in the United States is you can run for office if you don't like the way things are going. <laughs> you know, that's, no one is being stopped. Unless you're not a citizen, that's a different issue. <clears throat> then do something about it. This is the other thing. You don't just sit around. But I think the point here is that there's ways to rebel that aren't overt direct, you know, burning the place to the ground. There is action you can do. Here's action. The end story is that God is in charge. And I think the Bible is very clear. Psalms and Daniel both make it very clear. Look, there's a reason why Trump is in the White House. There's a reason why, not making the connection here, Nebuchadnezzar ruled Babylon. Because God allowed that to happen. I mean, that's the long and short of it. And a lot of people don't like to hear that, but that's biblical. God is in charge. He allows people to rule who rule. But in the end, it's not people, like Carrie was saying, who are going to rule. In the end, it is Christ himself who will supersede all earthly kingdoms, and that is biblical. Okay. He brings them up and he's taken down. Baby. Yep. That's it. He does. Mm-hmm. He does. kind of points to that. You know, I really don't. Yep. Okay. <laughs> Fair. Yep. I think the ultimate goal for us, or for God, is for us to always be mindful of Him, where He is in everything, because He is the one who is eternal. Yep. We, we've been talking about this earthly stuff, mm-hmm. this temporal. Yep. It's going to go away. But we focus on that as, that is eternal. <clears throat> Eventually, that's going to come. And it's going to be eternal. Eternity is going to yep. be here. A few chapters ago, he's. Yep. Paul said that we that God does everything for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Everything. That includes all of this. Yep. Doesn't change. I, I certainly don't see the good in it all the time. Right? I mean, I can even look backwards and go, you know what? This wasn't that good. Yep. You know, even with the, what came of it. But you can, in those bad times, you can trust God. And maybe develop a closer relationship with him. Mm-hmm. So, I hang on to the truth. Mm-hmm. That truth and the truth of when I stand face to face with Jesus, all will be revealed to me. So I don't yep. have to understand it now. Yep. I don't have to know. Yeah. Think about Joseph. Mm-hmm. God. They might have meant it for him for evil, but God meant it for good. Some yeah. of the things that I've gone through, mm-hmm. I didn't really enjoy it much, but I can tell you what, I never would have been where I am today if I didn't go to the Lord. I'm going to expand on all this. I want you to think back to how many times 
in history has God's people had it good? Like, no war, no famine, no oppression. <clears throat> Do it, live their, their lives, kingly, you know, godly man or woman on the throne. <clears throat> but then look at, look at how things went when that, when that was that way. Look, I, I'm just going to say, look at Solomon's kingdom. The people of Israel never had it as good as, as when Solomon was king. That's just a fact. Um, they were at their most wealthiest. They were at their most powerful militarily. They had peace. <clears throat> um, what happened to that society? They became dependent on themselves and not on God. You know, a lot of times you think, okay, let's put that in today's perspective. Yep. How, many, how many Christians buy a lottery ticket? Yes. Thinking that that will save Solomon had everything going for him, and he, and, he, and he worshiped pagan gods, for heaven's sakes. For heaven's sakes, he worshiped pagan gods. Then look at all the thousands of years where things haven't gone so well for God's people. The Hebrews in Egypt. The Hebrews in Canaan. The Jews in Babylon. The Jews in Persia. The Jews in the Roman Empire. Christians in the Roman Empire. Look, folks, you are right at the cusp at 57 AD of things to go south in a hurry. Nero is on the throne right now, and he is listening to all of this, and he is watching. And only a few years from now, he's going to burn half of Rome to the ground and blame the Christians for it and, call, and start what is the beginning of like 300 years of Christian oppression. What was the result of 300 years of Roman oppression of the Christians? <laughs> you have... You have the biggest, I'm going to call it the biggest in terms of numbers, the biggest religion in history. More people were Christians at the time of Constantine, <clears throat> proportionally, than any other group of, of, of people in the empire. Today, Christians outnumber all other religions. And I'm not saying that that is the litmus test for truth. I'm saying oppression here <laughs> caused great things to happen for the people of God. Look at all the things here. The oppression of the Hebrews led to deliverance. It led to a spiritual renewal. It led to a group of people that now could rule and govern themselves and were not dependent on someone else. I'm just saying, I get it. When you're down deep inside of this, it doesn't look very promising. But remember, I've said this before, God is a, is a, is a strategic thinker. He looks at the entire map, the entire timeline simultaneously, and he sees the patterns that we don't. You know, it's too bad that the communists in China don't read the 13th chapter of Rome. Yeah. Well, maybe they feel less threatened. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I think Gamaliel said it himself. If, if God is behind this, there's nothing we can do about it. It's going to happen. 
And if God isn't behind it, then it's going to fail miserably. So why get in the way of God? <laughs> yeah. Has anybody seen the videos of the protesters in Hong Kong saying hallelujah? It's pretty powerful. That's awesome. Nice. Where is Christianity growing in the world today the most? Just name, name, name your oppressive country. It's true. We've sent, we've sent people to that region. I'm telling you folks, it's paradoxical. But oppression and hardship strengthens our bond with God. It just does. God figured that out in the Garden of Eden. <laughs> what does paradoxical mean? It means it's, it's contrary to what you would, you would think. It doesn't seem to logically make sense. If I oppress a certain people, you would think that would destroy them. And in, and in many cases of world religions, it does destroy them. Christianity is singularly alone amongst world religions where it has undergone so much oppression, and yet it is today the most popular religion on earth. If you look at any story, any movie, that's the storyline, yep. is that there's some issue, there's some, something coming against somebody, and then yep. we rise up out of that to become better. Isn't that it? That's, that's it. The, that's, that's the human story. That's it. Can that's it? Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you can't you can't watch a, a post college football game interview with a player that he doesn't talk about. We overcame adversity. Yep. We overcame adversity. I mean, it's like oh, shut up. Oh, Becomes a cliche. Yeah. Heard it six thousand times now. Yep. But, but that's what it is. Yep. That, that's, that's what all this is. Let's let's finish out because <clears throat> now we're going to get into the thinking of the Christians of the first century. Let's just read it, and then we'll talk about this. Who wants to read verses 8 to 14? We'll finish this out here. Do not owe people anything except always owe love to each other, because the person who loves others has obeyed all the law. The law says you must not be guilty of adultery. You must not murder anyone. You must not steal. You must not want to take your neighbor's things. All these commands and all others are really only one rule. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Love never hurts a neighbor, so loving is obeying all the law. Do this because we live in an important time. It is now time for you to wake up from your sleep because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is almost finished and the day is almost here. So we should stop doing things that belong to darkness and take up the weapons used for fighting in the light. Let us live in a right way like people who belong to the day. We should not have wild parties or get drunk. There should be no sexual sins of any kind, no fighting or jealousy. But clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ and forget about satisfying your sinful self. What is this telling us? What do you what do you take from There you go. There boom. Love your neighbor. Love your neighbor. <clears throat> Put others first. And it's funny because he's kind of talking about the law, which you just told them to yep. follow the law, but then but follow the law. Uh-huh. We made a comment last week that the Gospels have not been written yet. They certainly haven't been circulated yet. <clears throat> Where does this strike you? You've heard this. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, and do not steal, and do not cover. Whatever commandments or whatever other commandments there will be, they're summed up in one rule. Love your neighbor as yourself. <laughs> Where have you heard that? Sounds like something Jesus 
that's it. <laughs> Sounds like something Jesus would say. In fact, if you look at Matthew 22, 34 to 40. Well, yeah, I'm running out of room here. Matthew, and now i got to write it down here. See, it's 22. And you look at Mark. These are all, and Luke has this too. These are synoptic. I don't know what the Luke reference is. Mark is 12, 28. What does that say? Matthew, let's read it. We'll do the Mark. Mark 12. Is that it? Let's do that one. Do you have that? Yes. Do you want to hand him the mic and we'll just do that? Thanks. Yes, please. Um, verse 36 says, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first thing, the great and first commandment. And the second is like, You love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend on the law and the prophets. Jesus is saying exactly what Paul is saying. Paul has heard this. You can, you can believe that Paul has already heard that Jesus said this. If Jesus hasn't told him himself, he's heard it from others. Jesus said the whole law is summed up by your what? It's, it's, it's your heart and the love that you have for others. Your love for others, your lack of selfishness, which I have said in the past that all sin is derived from selfishness. If you are not selfish and you put others first, that is the meaning of the law. That's why the whole law is written. You can write thousands of pages. You can write... Three sentences. Love your enemies. Why does he say, let's see here, why does he say, and do this understanding the present time, the hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber. Salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. What is he saying there? What's he saying there? That salvation is right here. It's, it's sooner than we think it is. Salvation. What specifically? What is, what is he alluding to here? Yes. The Christians of the first century were convinced... Jesus' return was imminent. They saw him go up. Remember, at this point, there's still many people left on earth alive who saw Jesus and saw him rise into the clouds. They are convinced he's coming back imminently. That's why the Gospels haven't been written yet, because no one bothered to spend all their time writing all this down when they could just go out and tell people, quick, it's like literally imminent. Any, any moment now, I got to just go tell people. It's important, this is, this is just a biblical thing, you're, you're still seeing the effects of the Christian community saying, I have to go and tell as many people as I possibly can right now, not even bother to write this stuff down. How does that affect you today? We've been a little desensitized to it because of the yep. loss of time. Yes. Like, yeah, well, we've probably still got a couple thousand years. Two thousand. The problem is you may not. Ah. You know, it's, it's that whole urgency message. Mm-hmm. You know, our lives are but temporal. Yeah. And, and so it is an urgency. That's great. The people we're sharing it with, their lives are also short. And yeah, Jesus is coming again. It could be today, it could be a thousand years from today. But right now is, is all I have, and, and we may not have tomorrow.
I'm going to end there. That was awesome. Thank you all so much. That was a great discussion. And we'll see you next week.